Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurial League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Perel, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurs League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week. That's entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey. I've started to become way sort of tougher, right? With my conversations and my process, reminding myself that I am in control of that process. I am not begging for money. I am giving someone an opportunity to jump on board of a business that is going to explode. And we have all the signs in the air. We, we see them clearly. If someone else doesn't see that, it's their problem, not yours. Anna Ratala is the co-founder and CEO of Zvook, a platform that matches brands to podcasts to scale their host-read ads. While living in Singapore, Anna identified a need to match sponsors to podcasts so that shows could begin to monetize right away. Tune in to hear how her company is transforming the podcast industry. Coming up, Anna shares her thoughts on entrepreneurship in the U.S. versus overseas. How Anna brought the startup tech event Slush to Singapore. The spark that inspired Zvook. And Anna shares advice on working with a co-founder. And finally, the process to work with Zvook as a podcaster or as a brand. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Anna, I am so excited to sit down and have this conversation with you and hear all about how you started this incredible platform for brands and podcasters. But before I jump in and hear all about that business, I would love to know a little bit about your background and your journey. And did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, I actually, I think, have an advantage of growing up in a country that's very often quoted as the best country in the world, the happiest nation, which is Finland. And, you know, I think that growing up in Finland actually 
gave me a lot of advantage of me seeing all the opportunities that there are and never really questioning whether or not I was able to grasp something or not, right? Right now, for example, we have the youngest prime minister in the world who was a 36-year-old woman, right? When I was a kid, you know, we had a a female president for 12 years. So I grew up with this external environment of I can do anything, anything is possible, I have all the possibilities in the world. And then internally, I mean, I grew up in a very sort of normal family. My mom's a teacher, my dad's a sea captain. And when I was a a baby, he was actually sail a lot and he was away a lot and up until I was about six. And then he kind of didn't want to be away from the family for so long. So he changed to an office job. But basically, nobody was an entrepreneur. It was never really discussed, right? So it wasn't something that I was thinking about from when I was a kid. However, I've always been incredibly competitive, even as a kid. I was, I'm a Leo. Um, and even though I'm not Me big too. on, really? Oh, well, happy <laughs> birthday, birthday, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> on the 23rd of July. <laughs> All right. Coming up. <laughs> so I think that anything they say about Leos is actually incredibly applicable to me at least. And that's how I was a, as a kid. I always wanted to be the leader and the best and very competitive. And I think that was one of the things that now obviously being an entrepreneur has, has been very, very helpful. I would say that, you know, growing up, I did a lot of different things and and kind of tried out a lot of different things. But the first time I really can think about, you know, having these entrepreneurial tendencies was when I was maybe 14, 15. And in Finland, everybody at that age starts having a summer job, right? You go and you work mm-hmm. for, you know, whatever, sell ice cream or waiter at, at the at restaurant, whatnot. And I didn't want to do those jobs. And I was like, hey, I want to I want to do something more exciting. So me and my friend actually teamed up and we went to different malls in my home city, La Peranta in Finland. And we asked our marketing managers if we could set up a tourist info spot in the mall to help tourists find whatever they were looking for in the mall and serve them in their own language. So we were like, we speak Finnish and English and Swedish and Russian. We like listed all these languages that we had studied and went to all the malls, all spoke to different marketing managers. And one of them said, hey, you know what? that's a great idea. Welcome. And so we worked for six weeks, had our own little tourist info spot. And that really, you know, showed me that, wow, I can actually create something. If I don't see an opportunity, I can create it and I can get it done. And I think that was sort of the first time and I was really thinking about, wow, it could actually be pretty nice to do something on my own. Later on, you know, when I went to university, um, I was really thinking about my career in kind of two aspects. Number one, either I wanted to become a really successful like businesswoman, C-level executive, maybe a CMO of Nike or something cool. You know, I really wanted to have an international career, something to do with marketing. And I knew that I was going to be, I wanted to be very successful. Or another path for me was to become a politician. I was actually elected to my local uh, city council in my home city. And had I stayed in Finland, I would have run for parliament. But then, you know, the world called my name. And I, uh, after I graduated, I, I moved overseas and haven't really looked back. But yeah, in the beginning of sort of my life, I never really thought about, you know, starting anything on my own. But I think I've always been entrepreneurial. And now looking back at it, it all makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Isn't it so interesting when you go back and look at your childhood and see like all of those key points when all of those little milestones were happening and you don't realize in those moments, but now you like put everything together and it's like, oh, that's why I am the way I am, right? Makes perfect sense. And everyone's like, yeah, we knew that you were going to do something on my own. And now looking back, it all, it all makes sense. 
So what did you do? You moved over to the U.S. and you started working here before you then started your business? Well, actually, no. I moved first to Germany for a little bit. I did my exchange studies there and, and, and sort of continued from there. And then I had a chance to move to Singapore, to Southeast Asia, and initially for a short period of time, for six months. And I thought, hey, this is a great adventure. If I'll find interesting career opportunities there, maybe I'll stay for a little bit. Ended up staying there for almost a decade. And that's kind of really where I kicked off my professional career. I worked for a media intelligence company that software sales and worked with brands and companies that were trying to understand how they're being perceived in the press and in the media Mm -hmm. and what are all the mentions of them and their competitors and how they can compare them. So I've always been very, very fascinated by storytelling and how compelling storytelling really moves you, educates you, entertains you awakens emotions, and especially the context of business, right? And how brands are doing that in their marketing and advertising, right? And I mean, 10 years ago, it was like, all you had to do was to sell something. Now you can Mm -hmm. no longer hard sell anything, right? You have to really speak to your audience. You have to engage with them. You have to be authentic. You have to share stories. So that part has always been very fascinating to me. So I loved working for this media intelligence company, you know, learn to do sales, but really ultimately after a few years, I was like, you know what, is this what, what there is to life just to work in this corporate? Like it, it's not as fun as I thought. And I was like working at one of the skyscrapers of Singapore business district. And it was all cool. But I was like, you know what? I mean, I kind of feel like I don't want to do this anymore. And so I quit and I started my own little one woman sh- show, helping some companies expand to Southeast Asia. That got me a chance to get to know Singapore startup ecosystem. And I understood that it was very vibrant, but, you know, Singapore being in Asia, it's a very top-down culture and you're expected Mm -hmm. to become a doctor, a lawyer, or, you know, a banker, not an entrepreneur. That's just for fun. That's a hobby. And so I started realizing that something, a, a platform for the local young entrepreneurs to go out there and really talk with one another, meet with investors and, and have this whole, you know, meetup would actually be beneficial. And in Finland, there's a big tech startup event called Slush, which is very known in Europe. So I ended up starting Slush Singapore. So the Southeast Asian chapter of that event in 2016, ended up running it for three years. It was a big success. We had um, about 3,000 attendees every year from over 60 different countries come together, startups, investors, media. And that really, for me, sealed the deal (laughs) that I wanted to start something of my own, like an an actual startup. I'm like, I'm never going to go work for anybody anymore. I'm going to start my own startup. And I needed a co-founder. So I joined, this was in Singapore, I joined a startup program by an early stage VC, met my co-founder, who's our CTO. And we actually sort of started developing the the idea for Spook. that was what got me actually to move to New York because Southeast Asia doesn't really have a big podcasting ecosystem, but obviously the U.S. has. And so we knew that if we wanted to build this into a big company, we had to be in New York. So two weeks after the startup program was over, we got a small check from from the investor, which was our first money. I packed my bags, came to New York, have not looked back ever since. <laughs> Wow. That is such an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that. I have so many questions for you now. When you went start, went into that startup program and you were looking for your co-founder, did you already have the idea for the business or did you come up with it together? Actually, that's a great question. I came in with another idea. I had a whole bunch of different ideas and the whole, you know, a part of the program was to validate some of those ideas, right? And so my first idea was to have like a digital business card, which I actually, these days you have a lot of them, you know, mm-hmm. that you just scan with your phone. And, you know, that was one idea. I wanted to go into like one-on-one mentoring 
platforms. I explored that. And really the idea for Zvook came about, I, me and my three really good friends who were also entrepreneurs, we wanted to start a podcast. We were like, mm. let's drink wine and let's talk about entrepreneurship and leadership and business. And, you know, who wouldn't want to listen to such great content? And so we... Uh, I mean, the- obviously people want to listen to that, right? <laughs> and I was like, obviously somebody would want to sponsor that, right? And so I said, hey, we need a sponsor. Let me go and, and find one. And I went online, trying to look for a platform you know, that could help connect me with brands that wanted to work with podcasters the same way you have platforms, influencer marketing platforms, right? And I was stunned to realize that there wasn't one, right? And I kind of went into this rabbit hole of like, okay, so what does exist in the podcasting world, right? I read a lot of, you know, articles and and research. And this was at the time when Spotify started making really big bets in podcasting. And they bought a couple of podcasting startups. And there was just like a lot of buzz around it. You know, Barack Obama was starting a podcast. Like everybody was starting a podcast. And there was like, something was happening. And I was like, how is it? This was 2019. I said, how is it that in 2019, you're able to buy anything in the world with the click of a button, except a host endorsement from a podcast? We need to change that. And that's how we started developing Zvok. And today we have that platform where you can literally do that. (laughs) Well, I am so excited to start using your platform for Entreprenista. Can you share with me exactly how the platform works? So if you're a podcaster and you want to sign up for the platform, how does it work and how does it work for a brand? Yeah. So for the podcaster, it's super easy. You create a login. It's completely free. You go claim your podcast from, you know, we have almost 2 million podcasts out there, you go claim it, you indicate your statistics and your, you know, audience description, whatnot, and you can create ad slots, right? So it's all, you have full control over the different ad slots or other opportunities that you sell within your podcast. And that's it. What the platform does is it actually includes your podcast as a recommended podcast to a brand that's looking for the type of content that you produce, right? So what happens on the brand side, they log in, they say, here's my budget, here's my criteria, what I'm looking for. They click a button and they get a recommendation of, let's say, 10 or 15 podcasts that are a perfect match for them. And all they have to do is click a few buttons and they can book those campaigns instantly on the spot across any network or indie show, across any sizes. So it's a great way to have a lot of audio creators to be discoverable by the brands because that's one of the big, as you probably know, right, as a podcaster, it's one of the very big pains that, you know, podcasters don't necessarily know that you exist. Even if you're a bigger podcast, I mean, there Mm -hmm. are millions of podcasts in this world. So we try to make it easy to make sure that the brands find you and that you're able to, you know, monetize your podcast regardless of the size. I love that. Is the platform now what you thought it was going to be when you were first setting out to launch the business? You know, it's very interesting. It is. We, I think this is very rare that you have something that you come up with and two years later, it hasn't really changed. But we've been so diligent in, first of all, building up the platform. It's a lot of work, which is why nobody's really built one before. But also we've been validating it as we go. We've signed up big networks like, you know, we work with iHeart and NPR and PRX and all these big networks. And, and, and we've validated the concept with them. We've validated the concept with, you know, potential clients and partners. And so we've learned as we go that this indeed was the correct problem to be solved and the way we're solving it seems to be the correct way to solve it. And obviously there's a whole bunch of things that we are yet to build and improve, but the basics is there. And so interestingly enough, yeah, this is exactly what we set to do, you know, two years ago. 
When you met your co-founder through the program, you clearly didn't know each other for a long time before starting to partner together. Any advice or tips that you can share about your experience working with a co-founder, especially someone that you didn't have a long relationship with before you partnered together? Yeah. And actually, I have to say, we worked together for three weeks before we pitched uh, the idea and got the funding and literally started the company. So there are definitely a lot of risks involved, but we, you know, paid off for us. We're still, we're still there. But I would say two things. Number one, pick someone with complementary skill set, right? For me, it was obvious. I'm a business person, never coded a line in my life. So I really needed a CTO, someone who knows how to code. So that was very clear. And by default, usually developers are very different personalities than business people. So it was a nice little match. You obviously have to have something in common, right? Your your shared values, the uh, you know, the hunger. You need to understand whether or not this person's in it for the long run. Are they going to quit after, you know, the first uh, failure or setback? And that's obviously something you can, to an extent, validate beforehand, but really you can't until you start working with someone. Mm -hmm. But another thing that I would say, at least for me, was very important that I had a good feeling about it. I'm a very sort of feeling person. I do base my decisions based on, on certain logic and data, but really the final key decision comes from my gut and you have to feel like this is a person you want to work with and you want to spend time with. I remember a lot of people in our program went through like an Excel sheet. They were like, oh, I identified everybody based on their characteristics and skill sets or whatever. And I ranked them and this is my rank. And I'm like, how do you, I mean, I don't care who ranks first. If I don't like that person, I don't vibe with them. I can't build a business with them. What are you talking about? So you really, I would really recommend to not just look at the skill set, but also how you feel about that person. Um, And then at the end of the day, it is a risk, just like it is, you know, choosing a partner or, you know, uh, applying for a job and, you know, and working for a company. I mean, you only know after you've worked together for a little bit of time and the beginning is always going to be great. And after the first setback, you'll really see if this person is there to stay or not, but it's a risk worth taking. What was your first setback with your co-founder and what did you learn from it? I mean, I feel like it's just a steady wave of things, of challenges. I think just in the beginning, when we went through the platform, through uh, the the program and got that first check, there was like a demo day that, you know, we we presented at. And our expectation was that we were going to raise substantial money right off the demo day, right? We were like, Mm -hmm. oh, we're awesome. We're good. We didn't raise anything for a year after that, actually. And that was a really hard part because, you know, you think everybody's giving you such great feedback and everyone's like, oh, that's so exciting. You go out there, you pitch, everybody wants to meet with you, but nobody writes you a check. Now I understand why. We were so early. We didn't have the platform. We had nothing. We had a presentation and we said, hey, we're going to do this in, in America where neither of us had ever lived or worked. We had zero networks. So I understand why investors would be like, nah, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and see how this is going to turn out. But to us, it was hard because obviously we were not able to pay ourselves, you know, massive salaries. I came to New York. New York is a very expensive city. I was renting, you know, a random room all around Brooklyn and just trying to figure out how do we get to a place where somebody actually trusts us enough to give us money? How how are we able to build fast enough without any team? We couldn't hire a team because we didn't have any, you know, additional money. And so all that, that first year, I think was a true, true test. And then the pandemic hit, right? My co-founder was actually in Vietnam at the time. I was here. 
So we were, you know, remote in lockdown. Nobody knows what's happening in the world. And everybody obviously is saying nobody's investing in anybody. Like people are just trying to figure, figure stuff out. Um, and it was really hard at that point. We had the conversations of, are we actually going to continue doing this? Can we survive? Do we have like enough on our bank accounts to actually pay the bills and survive and move forward? And for how long are we going to do this for? Right. And then luckily a couple of months after the pandemic, we actually raised sort of significant amount of money from a VC. And that really was validation to us to an extent, like, okay, somebody else believes in us. And then we were actually able to get a team on board and kind of start really building. So yeah, it was a very interesting time period. That is a very challenging time period. And it just shows your perseverance and resilience and you just kept going and figured it out. And congratulations on finding that VC, or that VC finding you, I should say, and, the, you. <laughs> you know, investing in you because it really is incredible what you've now built in, in such a short time. And I'm excited to dig into more. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, entrepreneurs! You know I am always here to provide you with as much value as possible. So I wanted to be sure that you have access to the Entrepreneurista Agenda, our weekly newsletter where we share the latest business news, success stories, grant opportunities, as well as all of our favorite resources and special offers for founders just like you. You can sign up to join our weekly newsletter and join over 50,000 other entrepreneurs over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash newsletter. That's entrepreneurs.com slash newsletter to subscribe to the Entrepreneurs Agenda. Anna, as someone who now has a bit of experience fundraising because I have another business aside from Entrepreneurs that's called Market that we just did a race for and we're in the middle of a seed race too. So I have also, I did a raise during the pandemic, a pre-seed raise, and now raising a seed round right now. I know all of the ups and downs, highs and lows, challenges, especially challenges that women face when raising as well. And I would love to hear more about your fundraising journey and some of the lessons learned because something that I've learned is if we don't talk about it and share all of our learnings and our connections and experience with other women, especially, then we can all get ahead and, you know, and get the money that we all need to be able to grow our business. So let's dive into some of your learning lessons or actually wait, take me back to the process of how the fundraise started and where you're at today. And then we'll get into the learning lessons. Yeah. So we started the fundraise. I mean, we were literally speaking to a whole bunch of investors here in the US and trying to figure out where to start with how much and just kind of making some connections. RVC is actually from Denmark and they reached out to us saying that they wanted to, uh, they were looking into the audio space, would love to chat. And I have to say that in retrospect, thinking about how that process went with them from the very first interaction until the close, very smooth, very respectful. You could literally feel from the first conversation that this could actually potentially end up in us working together. And I think this is one of the very, very important things that I remind myself of. If you have a conversation with a VC, the first conversation, and you are not feeling it, don't push it. Forget about that, right? It's not worth it. And in the beginning, I was following it up with all sorts of conversations. Like somebody was not even interested and I'd be like, oh, let me follow up because I promised. Like, nah, forget about them. They're not going to give you the money. If you don't feel it, they certainly don't feel it, right? Yeah. So that's the number one thing. And 
what I really loved about, you know, working with, with our VC was that they were very respectful of our time. They told us, you know, they sent us emails throughout, you know, Hey, we'll need a little bit more time. We're discussing this. We're very interested. You know, here's some questions. They were very respectful. Even when we went into negotiating, and I think you always should negotiate. They obviously, you know, this was our first money from like a credible VC mm-hmm. and we were completely out of money. We had nothing, right? And still, I feel like it was important for us to negotiate in terms of a little bit and not just take something at, at face value. But even that was done in a very respectful way. So that was all in all a very pleasant, I don't know if it was a surprise, but it was a very pleasant experience and they've been great ever since. Now, after that, in the past couple of years, obviously I have been speaking with VCs just to every now and then you kind of do a little bit of check-in and see where you are and see if there's interest and kind of gauge a little bit of, of where you might be standing when you will raise your next round and, and build relationships. And throughout that process, I've had very different kinds of experiences and a lot of them not as pleasant as, uh, as our original raise. And, those are some of the experiences that, that I've learned a lot from. So like I said, number one, if you don't vibe with them, if there's no mutual respect, forget about it. Another thing that I've really learned, and this is something that I've heard from a lot of other founders, especially guys that have raised money, they're like, listen, your product, if you have a product, if you have validated, you have some customers, you have some revenue, then you're going to raise. Like that's never going to be the reason for you not to raise your good. It's all about playing the game. And this mm-hmm. was something that I don't think anybody ever has talked about before. Everyone's always says, oh, maybe it's about your deck. Maybe you should, uh, you know, rearrange your slides or maybe it's about your ask or valuation or this or that. And it's never really about any of that. It's really about creating the the storyline where you as a founder and as a startup are so hot. Everybody wants in. You have a tremendous momentum. You're just about to take off. And if you as an investor don't get on board right now, you're going to lose out, right? That famous FOMO that everybody's that talking about. That yep. urgency. And I've seen this so many times when you speak with investors who are maybe interested, but if they don't have that urgency, they're going to say, let me know when you actually have someone. Let me know when you have the first check. And it's very frustrating for a founder, right? Because yes. it's like, why don't you be you be that first check? You give me that first money, right? But they don't. Now I've realized that that also tells something about an investor, right? If investors are expecting founders to be visionaries, to take risks, to be trailblazers, but if you as a VC are too afraid to write the first check because you don't know who else is going to be on board, you're not a risk taker. You're not a trailblazer. You're not a visionary. So at the end of the day, you can kind of turn it around and be like, okay, do I even want to take money or nurture their relationship with someone who isn't jumping on this opportunity, right? So I've started to become way sort of tougher, right, with my conversations and my process reminding myself that I am in control of that process. I am not begging for money. I am giving someone an opportunity to jump on board of a business that is going to explode. And we have all the signs in the air. We we see them clearly. If someone else doesn't see that, it's their problem. It's not yours, right? It's their loss. Yeah, it's their loss. And I feel like this whole mindset and reminding yourself of that and having that mindset and confidence is a real game changer when you go into these conversations. It really is. And they feel it, right? And 
now I've started to feel the sort of the, the tide change, right? And they're like, oh, hang on, actually, you know what? Let's talk and let me introduce you to somebody else that could also be interesting. You know, so it really is playing the game as, as silly as it may sound. Take, taking that power back and you are in control and actually be- not just having that mindset, but believing that mindset, you know, this, you're giving them the opportunity to invest in you and to invest in this business that will be successful. So I think having that mindset as a founder, regardless, of if you're raising even for your customers, right? Like you have the opportunity to get to use this platform. This is amazing. If it's not for you, that's okay. But here it is. So I love that advice. Yeah. And I also feel like oftentimes what investors love saying is, if they are not going to invest, they say something like, oh, you're a little early or this is great, but you know, we're interested, but come back when you have a little more. And that I have also learned is a bullshit excuse for not investing, mm-hmm. right? It's literally, you're never really, I mean, especially if you're raising your seed round or pre-seed round, you're never really too early, right? Like that's what you're supposed to, that's the time when you you're are supposed early. to raise money. You are <laughs> early. That's the whole point of, of you know, that this is risk capital, right? So at the end of the day, I mean, again, you can either disregard them or I've started to literally just ask them, like, what does it really mean? Or I've started to challenge them a little bit and be like, listen, we both know that's probably not exactly true, right? So we can choose to be have an open conversation. You can let me know if you're just not interested in investing. I respect that. But if you are, don't tell me I'm early because I know I'm not, right? And in the beginning, I was very nervous to have these kinds of conversations because everyone always says, well, investors talk with one another and you're going to have a bad reputation. And I'm like, you know what? Having a reputation is still better than not having one. Right now, nobody knows me. Nobody's ever heard of me or my company, right? I'm very new in New York in this in this startup scene in this part of the world. So just because somebody would talk about me and say, oh, she was a little tough or she, I don't care because there's 10 other investors. They're going to be like, oh, I can handle a founder like that. Like, who is she? Let me talk to her, right? It's yeah. all playing a little bit with the egos. And a lot of investors are are guys that are used to be very, very mm-hmm. direct and very and driving that process. So I really want to make sure that they see when they speak with me, a founder and a CEO who is not just negotiating with them, but it's going to be negotiating with whoever else I need to, to build my business, right? I don't want them to see me as a founder that's runs like a, a small little startup. I want to see them a founder who runs a billion dollar company. That's what they mm-hmm. need to see, right? So you really need to sort of level up from the get-go. And it's been a very fun experiment and I can definitely recommend that because it makes you feel better. And surprisingly, it does move the needle in a very different way. Definitely. I'm so glad you shared this. And this is such helpful advice. Many of our Entrepreneurs League members and Entrepreneurs listeners are thinking about raising or currently raising right now. So this advice is spot on for our entrepreneurs to hear. Can you dig a little deeper and share, like, how did you start tweaking, you know, your emails to VCs based on, you know, shifting the mindset, you know, building that urgency? Were there certain things that you would say in emails to VCs to get the meeting or to build that initial traction? So I've added everybody that I've even vaguely spoken to throughout the times or somebody's introduced me to, I've added them all to our newsletter mail list. And our newsletters are very strategic. They're not just like, they're not weekly. We don't have any particular schedule. Whenever we have something exciting, we gather a couple of things and we share that. That actually is a great way when you think about investor receiving that content, that's a really great way for them to get back to you and be like, oh, 
this is interesting. Something's clearly happening. If you do like a weekly newsletter saying, oh, we've added one podcast or whatever, like that's not interesting. But if you're actually stacking them up and sending these newsletters and adding DVCs, I'm never asking if they want to be added or not. I mean, they can unsubscribe if they want to, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm definitely asking for, you know, forgiveness, not, not for permission. <laughs> permission. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's been a great way to do that. I also, for example, never send a deck beforehand ever. So when they're asking for a deck, I'm like, I'm super happy to share it after we talk. Because for me, it's really important that somebody does not look at the deck and make their own assumptions mm -hmm. of, oh, this is probably not, you know, I also know that I do think that we have a, a great deck and my, my CTO has designed it. So, so it's visually good and we've gotten good, good feedback, but I'm not building a deck is not my strength, right? So as well as I try to explain things in the deck, I'm best in person. So I want to make mm -hmm. sure that an investor has that first impression with me. I mean, preferably in person these days, it's all, you know, obviously online, which adds a little bit to the complexity, but still, I really want to speak with them first and, that again is my way of controlling the process. When they say, send me a deck, I'm like, I'm happy to after we meet up. So I usually send them a little blurb. And if based on that blurb, you don't know if you're interested, I mean, get out of my way, right? Like then don't waste my mm -hmm. time. You should be able to tell if you're interested in hearing more and having like a 20 minute conversation. At the end of your conversations, let's say you're doing a pitch over Zoom, how do you typically, you know, gauge their level of interest at the end? Do you ask specific questions to know whether they're in or they're out and you could move on or continue the conversation? What's your strategy? That's a great question. And literally, I ask them. And it's just a simple, like you, you definitely need to ask. And this is one of the things I learned in my times when I was doing sales. The number one reason why people don't close a sale is because they don't ask for it, right? Mm -hmm. They kind of who around and they expect someone else to let them know if they're very interested. And in, listen, that's a great scenario if that happens. But at the end of the day, I, I ask, I'm like, so where do you stand now that you've, you've heard all this? Where do you stand? Are you interested in being a part of the round? Are you interested in investing? I mean, I literally ask these questions because we both know why we're there, right? Like, so, um, and usually then they will provide more. They might tell, Yes, we're interested, but there are a couple of things that we still need to think about, or there are a couple of questions that I still, you know, would need answers to. And so then you have the next steps of what you need to provide for, to, to that VC, but literally ask for it. And I think this is one of the things that I'm realizing that a lot of female founders, we as women don't do enough. We don't ask for the business. Every time you are at an event for female founders and somebody says, so what's your advice for female founders? People go, oh, ask for advice, ask for people's, you know, 15 minutes of their time, ask for their feedback, ask them to look at your deck. No, ask for money. That's what you need. <laughs> ask for money. We need to, at some point, start believing that we know what we're doing, right? Feedback yes. is great, but you're going to get the feedback anyway. If you ask for money, you can get feedback. That's great. That's welcome. Welcome that feedback, but ask for what you actually need. If you don't ask for it, you will not get it. Exactly. And you can never really lose what you don't have. That's one of the things that I'm also mm -hmm. reminding myself of. I don't have a check from these investors yet, so I can't really lose it. They were, you know, if they weren't going to invest, they're not going to invest because I asked them a direct question, right? And at the end of the day, just be authentic to who you are, right? Whatever your style is, be authentic to that. Well, we do have a lot of VCs and angel investors who listen to our Entrepreneurista podcast. So if you want to share where you are and your plans for your next round in case anyone is interested in, in reaching out to you so you can have that conversation. Absolutely. So we're actually gearing up to open our official seat round this fall. We are closing now a couple of conversations, initial conversations already and looking to sort of 
publicly more openly opened the round in October this year. So very happy to obviously have conversations even before that. But October is the time when we're looking to uh, kick off the, the seed round. That is super, super exciting. We're actually launching an Entrepreneurista League. We're going to be doing a fundraising group for our founders that are in Entrepreneurista that want to be able to meet together to get advice and feedback, network and connect. And it's going to be led by this incredible Entrepreneurista. Her name is Lauren Kane. I don't know if you have come across her yet in New York, but I can definitely introduce you to her. She is incredible and is an expert at helping women raise capital. So she's going to be helping our entrepreneurs. So I'll definitely connect you guys for sure. Amazing. I would love to. Hey, entrepreneurs, Stephanie here. Dressing up while working from home has truly been a challenge. But guess what? I found a solution founded by a fellow entrepreneurista. It's Armoire. You can rent stylish clothes weekly or monthly right from the app. You'll spend less time shopping and you can get up to 50% off of your first month plus two bonus items. Just use the code entrepreneurista at checkout or visit armoire.style forward slash entrepreneurista to claim your offer. Look and feel your best with armoire. I know I do. That's armoire.style forward slash entrepreneurista. All right, Anna, this is a fun segment I love to do. I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? All right. How would your friends describe you in three words? Uh, Bubbly, energetic, feisty. What is your favorite way to unwind at the end of the day? A glass of wine. All right. I don't know if you'll be able to answer this one, but Apple Podcasts or Spotify? I want to say neither, but if I had to choose Spotify, what would you pick instead? So I've used uh, smaller, actually, listening apps like CastBox, Overcast. I like to support the smaller guys. Well, they're not very small, but Well, you'll have to give us us that whole list and we'll link out to them in the show notes below (laughs) so everyone can, uh, can go check them out. Perfect. What business tool or solution has really helped you grow your business? HubSpot. I mean, that's something that we use. It's kind of a basic tool, but uh, has been helpful. It's definitely important. You need to have a good uh, CRM and platform for sure. (laughs) And finally, is there one skill you really want to learn in the next year? Patience. (laughs) That is, I think, a a work in progress always, but that is definitely on the list. Uh, well, it's, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's definitely not easy because we all just want to keep moving and get things done as fast as possible. So, and I also actually want to start my own first podcast because we've done a podcast as book. Our team has, has recorded something. I am actually ha- planning to, to do one of my own as well. So hopefully the next year. What would your podcast be about? So that would be being an entrepreneur in New York, being a foreign entrepreneur in uh, New York City and kind of all the all the challenges and the ups and downs of, of that life. Well, I love that. And as someone who is growing a podcast network, maybe we can have a conversation when we chat later and Absolutely. <laughs> see if we can do that together. <laughs> so all the networking happens live on podcast, right? Love it. So I know we were chatting a little bit before about being a woman in tech. Can you share a little bit more about this, what the experience has been like for you? I actually have to say that I've only just recently started to embrace this whole part of 
me being a woman in tech. Obviously, I've always acknowledged it, but I've always wanted to kind of keep it very casual. Like, I'm not a female founder. I'm a founder. I'm not a female CEO. I'm a CEO. You know, like, why does there have to be this gender prefix? And as much as I would love for that to be true, I'm just seeing that we're not quite there yet. And there is a need for that conversation to still be going on. And so one of the things that I'm very passionate about is you know, getting, we always talk about getting more women in tech. And I think that that's amazing. A lot of that conversation is centered around having more female coders and engineers. And I think that that's super important. That's great. But there are so many women out there, including myself, that have never coded, don't have interest in that and are thinking, well, I guess tech is not for me then because tech is very technical and I don't know how to code or maybe I should learn how to code. And the fact is that if you haven't done that by a certain time, like you're never going to be as great as someone who's done that for 20 years, right? So what I really want to encourage, you know, all women to do is to get into tech and play to their strengths. Like if you're great at marketing or finance or strategy or HR or whatever it is, then go work for a tech company or start a tech company and just make that your core strength, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, every company needs great leadership, for example. I don't want us to be in 10 years time in a scenario where a majority of our engineers are women working for Mm -hmm. guys that are being these visionaries and all the on all the billionaires lists and then all the women are basically coding products for them, right? We need both. We need women Mm -hmm. who code, but we also need women who lead and I'm very passionate about this whole change of leadership culture that we see in the tech startup world. In the past maybe 10, 15 years, when the whole startup ecosystem started evolving in Silicon Valley, it was a bunch of coders that, sure, were visionaries, created great companies, but really, really shitty work environments, right? Mm -hmm. Bad, poor company cultures, disrespectful. And then, you know, we've dealt with with the consequences of that, right? And so now I feel like a lot of People, you know, employees, investors, and and even founders are really looking for company cultures and the kind of leadership that is based on empathy and communication Mm -hmm. and respect and really, you know, engagement. And I think that we women have a very big role to play in this shift and we can really lead that shift. And I believe, and I really want to believe that going forward, even a part of a company's valuation is going to be based on how strong the leadership is, right? How strong the company culture is. Because listen, it's very expensive to lose employees if your turnover is really, really high, no matter how good your product is or no matter how good your financials are. So yeah, I think that we just should embrace it as women and go more into tech, but not just into tech roles, but really to lead tech companies. I definitely agree with that. What type of leader are you? So I'm a very, I communicate a lot. I think people would call me probably on the inspirational side. I'm, I'm very good at getting and energizing people and sort of selling on the vision and the purpose and, and the reason of why we're here. I love being with people. I'm an extrovert. I love communicating with people. I have regular one-on-ones with my team. I pay a lot of attention to, to how how I can help them to feel like this is something more than just a job. So I'm less process oriented. I might be a little messier with my, you know, tools and Excel sheets and whatnot. And that's why I have other people that are great at that. But I'm really, I I want to be out there with people. I'm definitely a people's person. Are you in the business working on the sales strategy and bringing on the partners and bringing on the podcasters? Yes. 
you know, there are periods of time when I do a little bit of less of that. For example, if we're in the middle of a fundraise, and obviously I, I wouldn't do that. But but generally, yes. And actually, even two days ago, I had uh, several meetings in, in a, one day, which were just sales meetings, right? Talking to clients. And, and I love that. I love doing sales in general, but also I love keeping my finger on the pulse at all times, understanding what it's like to sell our own service and talk to clients and get the feedback. So I think it's super important. Any advice you can share just about the sales process in general? Of course, always ask for the sale at the end, but any other tips you can share about the sales process for founders that are either in that part of the business or just anyone in sales in general? I know you're definitely very good at it. Yeah, I think that especially as a startup founder, but even in general in sales, I mean, listen more than you talk. I think a lot of people go in it and they think that they need to sell and they need to describe every single feature, it's it's not relevant, right? People only buy if you either solve a problem or you create a particular need. Solving a problem is very easy, right? You ask a lot of questions and you say, hey, this can solve this problem, right? And creating a need is all about storytelling again, right? Mm-hmm. So really building that connection and and storytelling. So I think those things are important. Such great advice. Do you have a quote or mantra that you live your life by? You know, I love this quote by... Michael Jordan, I don't know if it's really by him, but that's what I, I read it somewhere. And it he said, um, limits like fears are often just illusions. And mm. I just, it really stuck with me because it is so true. Oftentimes, especially as founders, we have so much stress and anxiety and we feel, you know, it's this emotional roller coaster every single day. When you have a great call with a client, you're like, flying in you know in heaven and then if you have like a conversation with a investor who tells you no it's like you crash so there's just a lot of emotions involved and what i've started to realize is this is something that i used to tell myself whenever i'm feeling not great i tell myself it's just a feeling it's not real mm-hmm. it's just a feeling nothing mm-hmm. real has actually happened and oftentimes it's true right from a good day to a bad day nothing has necessarily even happened you just feel the pressure mm-hmm. and the weight and the heaviness of just being a founder. And so I try to remind myself that just as much as I feel anxious or or worried, I could also just choose to feel, you know, excited. And so I love that quote, limits like fears are just illusions. So I, I really like to think that everything's just in my head. Nothing is real or everything is real. Whatever you want to be, <laughs> whatever you want is real. Whatever you want is not. So yeah, you, you take your pick. <laughs> I love that. I'm definitely going to write that one down and, and definitely can can relate to that. Are there other things that you do to manage, you know, either the stress, the anxiety, the ups and downs of entrepreneurship? Any advice you can share of what really keeps you grounded and keeps you going? Yeah, I mean, this is also a work in progress for me even. But one thing I've realized is, I mean, it's very hard, I think, for all entrepreneurs, it's very hard to take like holidays where you would completely unwind and you don't think about work. Like it's really, really hard. And so what I've tried to do more is find what I call little pockets of joy throughout Mm -hmm. the week that just are small. It doesn't have to be like, a long weekend or a week off. It's just an evening with friends, right? I'm a big foodie. So I love going out and I don't cook. I don't love cooking, but I love eating. And so I love going out or if someone else cooks, I'd love to eat. I love wine. I love, you know, seeing my friends. I love exercise. So I try to put in some of those bits and pieces every single week, right? And I have one 
day a week that is completely work-free, which for me usually is Saturday. I don't think mm. about work. I don't open my laptop. And I know that some people say, oh, as a startup founder, it's 24-7. No, it's not. And if it is, mm. you're going to get sick. Like mm. it's you're, you're not going to be an effective and good startup founder. Make sure that you find whatever makes you happy besides work and, and make sure that you have a little bit of that in your life as well. So yeah, for me, that's like a Saturday, which is what I normally do all these things that I love. <laughs> I love that. And, and such great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Anna. I feel like we could sit and chat here for hours and I'm actually super excited. We're going to chat tomorrow morning because we'll I continue <laughs> this conversation not recorded <laughs> offline. <laughs> so thank you so much for, for being here and sharing so much insightful advice. Your story is so inspiring. I cannot wait to hopefully start using this platform for Entrepreneurista and, and be part of everything. For our listeners who are either podcasters, because we have a lot of listeners who are podcasters and also a lot of business owners and brands who might be interested in using the platform as well, where can everyone find you and follow you? And of course, get involved on the platform. Yes, absolutely. So the platform, you can go to zvook.co. So Z-V-O-O-K.co. And you can just sign up. It's free to sign up for both brands and for podcasters. And even if you're a brand, you can go in, you can kind of play around and see what podcast could be a great match for you and for your brand and help you to maybe take that first step into podcast advertising. And if you're a podcaster, definitely sign up, claim your podcast, put in your, your ad slots, and all you have to do is wait to be matched with an amazing brand. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at zvuk.co on Instagram and on LinkedIn. And me personally, I'm at Anna Ratala on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on social media. So I hope to see you guys there and super happy to connect. Awesome. Thank you again for being here. And I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurs League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Corral, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurs League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. 
You can register today for Experience Week over at entreprenista.com forward slash Experience Week. That's entreprenista.com forward slash Experience Week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey.